Please turn with me in your Bibles to James chapter 3, where in verse 1 is we're going through the book of James. Tonight we're going to look at the first 12 verses, looking at altered speech, God really changing the words that we speak. 70 grams of absolute power. The average tongue weighs 70 grams or roughly 2 ounces. But with this small muscle between our lips, we have the ability to build up or destroy. Isn't that true? With these words, we can with speak the words of Christ. We can build someone up, give them that compliment that they need just at the right moment. Or we can, in our anger, murder someone with our mouths. We can slander, we can discourage, we can bring despair. Life and death really is in the power of the tongue. Think about the meaningful relationships you have in your life. They've been developed with words. They've been developed through the tongue. Relationships we've destroyed has been a result of our words. We think about our relationship with God has been developed through hearing his word and expressing our words to the Lord. James spoke earlier in chapter 1 that we're to be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to wrath. That's good wisdom, isn't it? Listen twice as much as you speak. Be slow to speak and slow to wrath. Verse 1 of James 3, it says, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. This seems almost out of place in these first 12 verses. We're talking about the tongue for 11 verses, so how does this one random warning fit into the context? But it actually makes perfect sense because it's saying don't let everybody teach God's word. Take it seriously before you begin to share and teach God's word because as soon as you do, you're going to be held to a higher standard, especially when it comes to the words that you speak. Now imagine if tonight you heard me teaching God's word, and then after service, I was in King Supers, and you hear someone screaming in the aisle, using profanity, yelling the F word, and you're like, that sounds like my pastor, you know? <laughs> would, would you be stumbled a little bit more than if you just heard some random person screaming profanity in the aisle of King Supers? Probably, Right? And so it makes sense. You know, think about uh, taking a math class. If you were taking an algebra class, would you kind of expect your algebra teacher to know algebra, right? And so we don't put pastors and teachers on pedestals. You know, we understand that everyone is a sinner in need of the grace of God. But there is this higher standard that's given to sharing and teaching God's word. It shouldn't discourage you from sharing God's word. It shouldn't cause you to shrink back and say, well, I'm, I'm never going to open my Bible. I'm never going to share with others. But understand, okay, once I do, that my speech is going to be held to a stricter judgment. In verse 2, we see the potential of the tongue, that with the tongue comes great potential. For we all stumble in many ways. This is our experience. We, we fall. We fall short. Sometimes we sin willfully in rebellion. Sometimes we, we sin with the best intentions. We tried to do better, but we fall short. We all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. So if we're able to tame the tongue, if, if God 
is able to give us altered speech, the scripture says that we're a perfect man or a mature man, a mature person. So if our mouth comes under self-control, that results in maturity. That's the potential of the tongue. It goes on to say, if you're able to bridle the tongue, you're able to then control the whole body. That's the potential of the tongue. Think about this for just a moment. If you start saying hurtful words in your anger, can that lead to violence? Absolutely, right? Domestic violence is a huge problem. Where does it start with? It doesn't start with fists. It doesn't start with throwing somebody on the couch or pinning a loved one up against the wall. It starts with words, doesn't it? And those words then get going in the anger. And before you know it, you're shouting and, and you're screaming. And then you're doing something with your hands that you never intended to do. You know, like, ah, man, whoa, what, what, what happened here? I never in a thousand years thought that I would put my hands on somebody that I love. And it starts with, with the words, doesn't it? When there's road rage and people are losing it on the road, where does that start? It starts with the mouth. It starts with saying words of violence, and then the, the body follows. The words are the, the guide to those things. Think about someone flirting out of lust. Those are words that are spoken. And making those comments and pushing it just a little bit, and before you know it, they're in bed with somebody that they never intended to be with. It started with words, started with things that they were, were saying. Or how about this? We find ourselves speaking these words. Oh, I can't live without this. I got to have this. It is on sale. <laughs> Grab the credit card and all of a sudden we've spent money that we didn't have. And when we've got to pay off this bill at a high interest rate, it started with words. And so if we can master the tongue, to master the tongue is to master maturity. That's the potential of the tongue. So don't ever think that words aren't important, that words don't matter to God, that words don't affect people, that words don't lead to other things. So this is an encouragement to say, man, I want to press into the Lord and allow God to get a hold of my speech because that's going to affect every area of my life. And then guidance of the tongue in verse 3. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. A Clydesdale weighs 18 to 2,000 pounds, 1,800 to 2,000 pounds. Massive horses when you're standing next to a Clydesdale. I don't often feel short, but when I'm next to a Clydesdale, I feel short and extremely skinny, right? I mean, they're just massive, massive beasts in creation that God has, has given to us. But then you put a bit in the horse's mouth, and you're able to lead this horse wherever you desire it to go. And that's an example of the tongue. That the tongue, if this 70 grams, this two ounces could be controlled by the Spirit, controlled by the Lord, then the whole body is going to follow. The, the whole body is going to go wherever the tongue leads it. And so we see that this guidance is, is provided. A racehorse weighs about 1,100 pounds. Not near as, as heavy as a Clydesdale, but they can run 40 miles an hour and controlled by a small bit inside of the horse's mouth. I mean, think of yourself on a horse that weighs 1,100 pounds going 40 miles an hour and deciding I'm going to go a little bit to the right. And the horse is like, okay, 
Let's just go right over here, right? And it shows the, the power that the tongue can have. The same with ships in verse 4. Look also at ships, although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they turn a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Ships, again, are a great example of power. Ships weigh tons. The longest ship is called the Seawise Giant at 1,500 feet long. You have the size of the ship, but then you also have the force of the wind. Our, tic- our text tells us that. Are driven by fierce winds. You've got the power of the water if you're out in the ocean and the tides, but then the pilot decides to move the rudder and the whole ship begins to turn. Again, showing the direction of the tongue. He who controls the rudder controls the ship. The tongue is the pilot that guides our lives. Wow. Think about that for just a moment. The tongue is the guide to to our lives. It points the direction. It provides guidance for, for the tongue. It's a big deal. It's really important to the Lord. The convicting part of this is in verse 5 where we see the destruction of the tongue, the damage that the tongue can bring. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. Such a small little member, but the tongue really does boast great things. In the positive, in the area that brings life, and also the area that brings destruction, the Bible tells us that salvation, we believe in the heart and confess with the mouth unto salvation. That's great things, isn't it? I love to hear that when people with a true heart that's convicted by the Lord. We had baptisms a few weeks ago and asking people when they receive Christ as their Savior and they're, they're declaring that their life belongs to Christ, that they understand salvation, that Jesus died for them and, and rose again. It, it boasts great things. You know, you think of tonight as we sang in worship of the love of God and your tongue fulfilled its purpose for which it was created and you began to worship the Lord. That's a beautiful sound. You think of your tongue and the words of love that you've uttered to your family, that you've received from your family, that you have expressed to your spouse, you've expressed to your kids, that you've expressed to your parents or your your brothers. Those Those are great things, aren't they? You know? You think about the times when God's used you to share scripture with someone and truth with someone and it was the right word for the right season and that, that was great things but then we also think of the words that we've said when we're angry the words that we've said in selfishness the words that we've said in gossip and the destruction that that has brought in in someone's life and it breaks us you know i think of things that that I've said to, to those that I love, things that I've declared to the Lord in moments of, of frustration. Oh man, the damage of that. It boasts great things, both in the positive and the negative. Continuing verse 5, see how great a, a forest a little fire kindles. We know this in Colorado Springs really well if you've lived here for a period of time. June 2012, Waldo Canyon fire started off fairly small up in the canyon. We had just had our son Wyatt. He was just a a few weeks old, maybe a few days old, young enough to where I drove the three older girls to grandma's house up in South Denver. I'm driving back 
to our house, and I'm looking, and I'm like, that doesn't look right. And just from Denver, then down to the springs, that plume, that black plume got big enough to where I was like, I better check the news. And sure enough, here was the Waldo Canyon fire. We still don't know who started it. We believe, authorities believe that someone started it with the purpose of ill ill intent, but we don't know. The, the person that started the Waldo Canyon fire is out there with, with the intent to, to start that fire. Two died in the fire, 346 homes and 18,000 acres, more than 18,000 acres. And it just started with a little fire in the right place on a windy day. Then to move in to the Black Forest fire a year later, two died in that fire, 486 homes, over 85 million in damage, and over 14,000 acres. Little fire, huge damage, right? There's not a summer that goes by now without some kind of crazy wildfire in the West. That's what it's been the, the last several years. And this is an example of our tongue. So we've seen what could happen with our tongue if it was controlled, if it was bridled, if it was brought under the leading of the Holy Spirit, could be like a horse brought into submission. could be like a large ship that's being guided with its rudder. But what if the tongue just goes out of control? What if there is no filter on what we say? What if we just let ourselves go with, with our speech? Then we know what's going to happen. We're going to destroy people's lives. You know, Remember the old saying growing up, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me? We've come to understand that to be far from the truth, isn't it? I'll take the sticks and stones, right? The sticks and stones, they hurt the body physically, but the words, they, they press deep. They go deep into our hearts and our lives, and it brings this tremendous amount of damage. Starts small, but then it just goes and goes and goes. A little bit of gossip goes a long way to burn someone's character. Innuendos, misplaced flattery, criticism, blasphemy, you know, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, rejecting Christ as our Savior, saying no to Jesus over the course of, of a lifetime. You know, it hurts the heart of God when someone says, I don't believe in Jesus Christ, when all they know of Jesus is using Christ's name as a cuss word and to continue through their whole life in that, that manner. A little bit of speech, it goes a long way. In verse 6, and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. Think of all of the wretched things that come out of our mouths. Jesus tells us that what comes out of our mouths is an overflow of the heart. Is there any hope in this study? Yes, there is. Yes, there is. Stay with me. The tongue is also so set among our members that it defiles the whole body. So as we speak, then it affects our whole being and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. People are in hell because they rejected Christ. They rejected Christ. They spoke it. They declared it. They took that hard-hearted position towards Christ. Even as simple as saying, no, Christ isn't for me, is a rejection of Christ. And so James, as he's writing, says it sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. Verse 7 is interesting. For every kind of beast and bird 
of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. This fascination with the animal kingdom is nothing new. Solomon and his endeavor for entertainment and pleasure, he went out and tried to get every exotic animal that he could. We've been taming animals for, for a long time, probably ever since the fall in the Garden of Eden. It's how, how do we tame a lion? How do we tame a tiger? I'm sure you can find lots of shows on this on Netflix tonight if you're, if you're curious. Probably remember different points in your life, maybe where you went to SeaWorld, and you're like, this is crazy. They've got a killer well right here doing all of these tricks, and I'm going to sit in the splash zone and get, get wet on a hot day in, in San Diego. So all of these things have been tamed by mankind, but verse 8, but no man can tame the tongue. It's an unruly evil full of deadly poison. We're going to come back to this. This is going to be the focus verse for us tonight. So hold on to verse 8, and we're going to end our study with verse 8. In verse 9, it's the duplicity of the tongue. With it we bless our God, our Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Duplicity, the dictionary definition, is contradictory doubleness of thought, speech, or action. The quality or state of being double or twofold. How easy it is to bless God. I love God. I just don't like people. <laughs> How many times have you found yourself thinking that? Or, or saying that? And God says, look, people are made in the likeness of God. To, to love God is to love people. And so the Lord's saying, these two things shouldn't come out of your mouth. We shouldn't be in that place of where we're giving praise to God, but then we're cursing men. It goes deeper in verse 10. It says, out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing, my brethren. These things ought not to be so. Sometimes the two are very close together, aren't they? We look at Peter's experience and Peter declared that Jesus was the Christ, the first one to do that of the disciples. What an amazing moment with Christ. Then he starts to try to rebuke Christ when Jesus is revealing that he's going to the cross. Now remember, in his mindset, the Christ was the Savior of the world. What we understand in the second coming of Christ, he thought Jesus was going to wipe out the Roman occupation. So then when Jesus turned around and says, yep, I'm the Messiah. Peter, you figured it out. The Father revealed that to you. It was only natural for then Peter to think, no, you can't die upon the cross. You're the Messiah. But he was rebuking the Lord. Those two don't go together. Rebuke the Lord. He's the Lord. So we're not in the position of rebuking him. So then what does Jesus then turn to Peter? He says, get behind me, Satan. One moment... He has this amazing revelation that Jesus is the Christ, and the next moment, the enemy is really influencing him. I want to encourage you, we're going to break this up into two studies. We're, we're going to slow down here and really look at the tongue this evening, but peek ahead just a minute in your Bible to the end of James 3. It says that there's a wisdom that's from above that's peaceable and gentle and willing to yield, but then there is a wisdom from beneath, from hell, that's demonic, and so our speech oftentimes is influenced by what wisdom we're listening to. And in that moment, 
Peter was listening to the wisdom of God, acknowledging that Jesus was the Christ, but then he switched and he started to listen to the wisdom that was from, from below. And what we're meditating upon, what we're listening to, it radically affects our speech, but God wants to eliminate this duplicity. And we're not going to be perfect until we go home to be with the Lord. But more and more so, he's wanting us to be in that source of living water, to where we're speaking the things of God, and we're not cursing one another. Let this sink in for a minute. It should not be so that I would bless God and curse men. Verse 11. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? No, it's one or the other, isn't it? It's either fresh water or it's contaminated. It, it's bitter. It's not, it's not both. But a lot of times, it's true of my mouth that there'll be fresh water coming out, but there'll also be spewing bitterness, spewing awful things. Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives? Israel is filled with Agriculture filled with trees and olive trees. Does a fig tree bear olives? No. Or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. James is declaring the well, the tree, salt water and fresh is according to its nature. Whatever comes out reveals what's going on inside. So we have to go deeper when we look at our words. Okay, what, what are my words revealing about my heart? What's it revealing about the source? What's it revealing about the nat- my nature? Now, now, if you ever struggle with your words like I do, what's the temptation when we're struggling with our speech? To blame it on the person. If I didn't have this boss, I would have no problem with my words, Right? Uh, you know the person or group of people that make you say stuff that you wish you'd never said. And it's easy to go, it's a problem with them, right? Now, now I'm not saying people don't push your buttons. I'm not saying that people don't sin against you. But how I respond to them, God holds me responsible for. Amen? So I can't sit there and say, God, they push my buttons, and so I just got to curse them, you know? I just, got to, I just got to lose it on them because they were, they were pushing my buttons. And some people know how to push your buttons. And it's not just like they push the one button, but it's like entering into the elevator and your soul is the, all those buttons and they push them all at the same time, right? They're like, well, what happens if I push one? Well, what happens if I push one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and right? And you're like, now you're going to get it punch you in the face, right? Give you some of your own medicine, right? Some of you feeling stirred right now as I'm saying it, you know? But we have to step back and go, it's me. The, the button is there. I'm allowing the, the button to be pushed. It, it's revealing about the source of my heart. And Jesus says in Matthew 12, he says, brood of vipers, how can you being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. In Luke 6, 45, it says, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. 
And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. If I'm having problem with my words, it reveals that there's a problem with my heart. Thankfully, God is in the business of changing the heart, isn't he? Ezekiel 36, the promise of the new covenant that God can take the heart of stone and make it a heart of flesh and through his spirit cause us to be able to keep the commands of God. Tonight, the Lord could be revealing Eric, RMC, gang on Wednesday night, there's a problem in your heart. What are you treasuring in your heart? Are, are you treasuring Hatred towards your spouse in your heart? Well, guess what? You're going to have that overflow. You fill in the blank of the, of the person maybe that is causing all these words to come out. Well, there's something in my heart that's wrong towards them. I'm not, I'm not seeing God accurately. I'm not storing up the right things in my heart. The, the heart is a place where we get to, to store things. We, we treasure things. If I'm treasuring evil things, I'm going to speak out of that. But if I'm treasuring good things, I'm going to speak out of, of that as well. So the mouth reveals the true nature. Please go with me back to verse 8, and it's salvation of the tongue. Salvation of the tongue. What does verse 8 say here? It says, But no man can tame the tongue. It's unruly evil full of deadly poison. You can tame a lion. You can tame a bear. You can have a boa constrictor in a cage as a pet. I don't know why you'd want to do that, but that's for you. You know, you can, you can do that. But you can't tame the tongue. And this whole tongue issue and altered speech, I think, brings us broken before a holy God. You go, Lord, I've tried. How many of you have tried to change the words that come out of your mouth, right? We've all tried. And what happens? We fail, don't we? I'm not going to get angry. I'm not going to get angry. I'm not going to get angry. I'm so tired of trying to not get angry, <laughs> you know, right? Before you know it, we've done the very thing that we've tried to prevent. What did Paul say? He says, the things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do, I do do. And there's a lot of do-do in Romans 7, right? <laughs> So there has to be more hope for us than simply behavior modification. To simply read this out of these 12 verses of James and go, oh man, if I master the tongue, I master maturity. If I can control the tongue, then that guides me in a particular direction. That, that, that sets my course. I can't have this duplicity in my tongue. I can't speak the things of God and then, then tear people down. But here in verse 8, it gives us the how. It gives us the how. No man can contain the tongue. It has to be us looking to the Lord. It has to be God working in our hearts. I think that we found in our lives, the more that we focus on sin, the more we sin. But the more that we focus on our Savior, the more he transforms our character. True change in our lives happens as we look to Jesus, as we behold Jesus, as we're in love with Christ, as we're abiding with him, and we look back over a six-month period of time, a six-year period of time, and we go, God's changed my speech. 
I, I don't say some of the things that I used to say. I don't say half of the things that I want to say. Am I perfect? No. But has God altered my speech? Absolutely. And that came out of worship. That came out of focusing upon the Lord. Please turn with me in your Bible to Isaiah chapter 6. I want us to look at Isaiah the prophet and when God altered his speech. Isaiah 6 verse 1. I think there's great hope for us in this. Isaiah 6, verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Uzziah was a great leader. And at the end of his life, pride consumed his heart, and he did not end well, and he died. And it's not coincidence in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah saw the Lord. It would have been easy for him to look to Uzziah. But when Uzziah was out of the picture, he had to look to the Lord. Have you ever had that happen in your life? There's someone that mentored you, someone that invested in you, someone that was a good leader in your life. But for one reason or another, they died. God took them out of your life. And you're like, I got to look to the Lord. They're, They're not there anymore. So he looks to the Lord, and God gives him this vision of the throne room of God. And this is going to lead to his tongue. But notice what he sees first, and it's God. It's God seated upon the throne. And we know that this is referenced a lot in the New Testament, that Christ is seated next to the Father on the throne. The finished work of the cross, that Christ died for our sins, that he rose again. And to really see the finished work of Christ... See God in his glory. See his train that fills the temple, his robe that fills the temple of his power and his position. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings, these angelic creatures with six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. So when we get to heaven, we're going to see the throne room of God. We're going to see God. And we also get to see the seraphim. And they're a tremendous slideshow, but they're pretty interesting, okay? And here's what the seraphim were doing. And one cried to the other and said, so, so one's saying, hey, catch this. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And Isaiah is seeing this. See, if we can just do behavior modification, who's holy? We're holy. I figured out how to clean up my speech. Is that what God's really interested in? He's interested in broken people that know that they can't fix themselves, that look and see the holiness of God. If you're wondering about the holiness of God, God has never said something he's regretted. He never had to speak to us at a later point and go, hey, you know, John 3, 16, I never really meant that, didn't really think through that first. Just just go ahead and delete that out of your Bible. You know, part of his holiness is how he's communicated in in his word. He, He never says anything by mistake. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. So there's this great crying out that God is holy. And it's so powerful and so strong that the posts of the door were were, were just shaking. 
And I don't know if you've ever been at a concert where it just thumps your chest in a good way, you know? And the whole room's bumping. It's just... And people that either want to hear it or don't, they're hearing it, right? You're, you're, you're hearing it on your way out to your, way out to your car. And, and there's so much happening in the temple of praise of God. It's shaking the, the Pope, the posts. And then there's smoke that, that filled the, the temple. And so the first thing when it comes to the salvation of our tongue is we behold God's glory. We behold God's glory. This is where our hearts change. When you receive Christ as your Savior, you beheld the glory of God. You realized God is love. And God sent his Son. And we don't stop beholding the glory of God. Get your attention off of the words that you speak for a moment and get your attention on the glory of God. When was the last time you were moved by God's glory? Just by his greatness. Something about him. Something that he's done. Something that he said, something that he's promised, his throne, and you go, I want to behold that. I want to behold the glory of God. I don't think the disciples were going around saying, I gotta clean up my speech, I gotta clean up my speech, I gotta clean up my speech. I don't want to start any forest fires, I don't want to start any forest fires, I don't want to start any forest fires. I said the wrong thing, I said the wrong thing. That doesn't that's not what they were doing. They're like, Wow, Jesus is awesome. Did you see what Jesus just did? He fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. Did you see he just walked on water? Did you just see he died on the cross? Why did, why, why did he do that? He abandoned us. What? He's risen from the dead? He's risen? He's alive? I'm forgiven? He ascended? What's this? The Holy Spirit lives inside of me? And then they're talking about Jesus. They've been touched by the glory of God. I think we've reduced the Christian life down to don't make a mistake, don't make a mistake, don't make a mistake, don't make a mistake, you know? I'm going to be in a lot of trouble if I say one of those words. People are really going to think I'm a bad Christian, right? That's all, it's like that's all we're interested in. No, it's a lot more than that. It's a relationship with Christ. It's beholding him and beholding his glory. And I find that to be so, so refreshing, behold his glory. But as we behold the glory of God, something very deep happens. And notice in verse 5, So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. As he beholds the glory of God, He's broken about his speech. He says, God, I am in a man of unclean lips. It was something about Isaiah's words that broke him before God. It's something as he was seeing the throne room of God that the Lord was bringing his attention to the things that Isaiah would say. He says, I'm undone. My lips are unclean. God, would you cauterize my lips? Would you do a work in my heart? See, and that's not just me trying to fix myself. That's not the behavior modification. That's what the Bible calls repentance. That's what the Bible calls conviction. That's what the Bible calls brokenness before God. And then he also realizes that he's with a people of unclean lips. And if you read the first five chapters of Isaiah, Isaiah is saying, woe is you. Here is the judgment because of your spiritual condition. And he's right. 
All of those judgments are from God, but he's not seeing his own sin before God. And then when he gets into the presence of God, he becomes aware of his own sin. And he says, woe is me. This is the first time in the book that he says, woe is me. I, I, I am undone. There's something about the presence of God that's so good and the glory of God that is so good, but it's also so humbling. Because when we really go to that place, we go, man, I don't deserve to be here. God, I am undone before you. I'm a man of unclean lips. When we think about the words of our culture, the words of our society, it should break us. The words that we speak, but also the words that our, our culture speaks. And the great works of God are always done through brokenness. It's always when the people of God get to this place and we ask God to do a work. We, we ask God to, to come and change us. And notice what the Lord does. In verse 6, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he'd taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken from you, and your sin is purged. So we behold God's glory. We're broken in God's presence. We ask God to catarize our lips. But then we receive God's cleansing. We allow God to alter our speech. Now, thankfully, this is a vision for Isaiah because a coal off of the altar with this beast that's got six wings, the seraphim, flying over saying, open up, got your tongue. You're going to think about what you say after this, right? I think this is real enough for Isaiah Though God didn't burn his tongue, he felt like it in this vision and dreamlike experience. And he woke up and he's like, man, God did a work on my tongue. I don't know if you've ever stepped on or touched a really hot coal. This was probably eight, nine years ago. My parents lived out in Oregon still. Now they live in Denver and my whole extended family lives in Denver, my brother, my sister. But we used to get together at a beach house in, in Oregon and there was a deck and right off the ocean, you could see the ocean and we had a Weber barbecue going with hot, hot coals. And the wind kicked up as it often does on the Oregon coast and blew these coals all over the deck. And it was a rental house. And, and so you're like, we, we don't want to burn holes in the deck. We're going to lose the deposit. So we're kind of in this frenzy trying to get these hot coals off of the deck without burning our, ourselves. And I didn't have shoes on and I accidentally stepped on one of these hot coals and just burned the flesh off the bottom of my foot, right? And it hurt so, so bad, right? So you think about a hot coal and you're like, not my mouth, please, not, not my tongue. But God was providing cleansing. He says, your sins are forgiven, and I'm touching and I'm changing your tongue. And do you know that God's forgiven your sin for the words that you've spoken, the words that I've spoken? To not live in condemnation, to receive God's forgiveness, to know that the blood of Jesus was shed for that sin, and the power that forgives us also has the power to cleanse us. Meet with the Lord. Allow God to do a work in your tongue. Allow God to alter your speech. And we go on from here and I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and whom shall go for us? 
Then I said, here am I, send me. I think this is an important part of having our speech altered is be willing to serve. After we behold God's glory and we're broken before God, we allow God to cleanse us, is here the question that God's asking. And I don't think God's ever stopped asking this question. He says, who will go for us? You know, who's going to tell people in Colorado Springs the gospel? Who's going to tell the gospel the people on the street that you live on? Who's going to bless those in your house? Who's going to bring the name of Jesus into your home? Who's going to encourage believers here at Rocky Mountain Calvary? Who's going to do the work of God? And here is Isaiah, and he knows his past failures doesn't disqualify him from being used by the Lord. And he says, here am I. Here am I, send me, and he's willing. Out of brokenness comes willingness. When we're not broken, we're like, God, I'll serve you if you ask me to do A, B, C, or D. But anything else I'm not willing to do, you know. I'm not willing to say that. I'm not willing to go there. I'm not willing to do that. But when we're broken, we go, God, I'm willing. Wherever you want me to go, I'm willing to go. Whatever you want me to say, I am willing to say. And God sends him out from that place. 70 grams of absolute power. The tongue can use to fuel the fires of hell or can be a tool of heaven. Kent Hughes said, Offered on the altar, the tongue has awesome power for good. Isn't that true? Our our tongue put upon God's altar, where he can alter it, has awesome power for good. What really changes our speech? When I was thinking about the section of scripture this afternoon, I was like, I was thinking about in my life, you know, what really changes my speech? And the first is to be broken before the Lord. To really get to that place of we're beholding his glory and we're broken before him. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Ask God to touch our lips. Lord, would, would you take a coal from your altar and place it upon my lips? I, I want my tongue to be marked by you. Invest godly things into our hearts. What am I treasuring in my heart? What am I really valuing in my heart? Is it hatred? Is it lust? Is it discontentment? Then that's all going to come out of my mouth. But start to put in the, the treasures. You know, as great as all of these sound, what seems to be the, bring, the point that brings me to brokenness and what God uses to really change my speech is when I blow it. When I blow it. When I really look back over the course of my life, and I was thinking about this the afternoon, there's just things that I've said that have destroyed people that I love. And in moments of frustration and anger, it comes out. Moments of foolishness, it comes out. And then I sit in that moment, and I go, God, I do not want to do this again. I don't want to have to look into the eyes of somebody that I love and be the instrument that was one of damage in their life. And then that ushers in the brokenness. And that ushers in an encounter with the Lord. And I'd love to be able to stand before you and say, hey, that's not the way that it's been in my life, but that's the way that it's been in my life. I remember being 19, and it was the week that I was moving out 
of my parents' house, moving from Salt Lake City to go back to Southern Oregon for a school ministry. And my mom, in hindsight now, was doing what good moms do and making sure that I had everything that I needed. And I was driving our Ford tourist station wagon, and she was in the passenger seat. And as a 19-year-old boy, I was feeling like, man, I'm getting pestered. You know, I, I got this under control. And I looked at my mom, and I said, I do not need a mom anymore. <laughs> and my mom started tearing up, and she looked at me with some fire, and she said, you will always need a mother, right? <laughs> and what I meant to say was, I do not need to be mothered right now, you know, which I probably did. You know, I needed her double-checking to make sure that all that I had, but that's what came out of my mouth, right? And I guarantee you that now, 20 years later, my mom remembers that, you know, like I, I remember that. And those are the moments that bring us to brokenness before the Lord. Is there hope in this area? Is all there is for us is condemnation that, no, there is hope. There's salvation for the tongue. No man can tame the tongue, but God can tame the tongue. As we take Isaiah 6 and we make it our own and spend time in God's presence, behold his glory, allow him to touch our lips. Make this a daily prayer. Psalms 19 verse 14, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the strong exhortation from James when it comes to our tongue. And Lord, we look at all the times that we fall short in our speech. And as we come to communion, we want to behold your glory afresh. Would you give us greater insight to who you are in your holiness and your glory displayed on the cross, you, Jesus, dying for our sin and rising again. We know that if you can conquer sin, you can conquer our tongues. And Lord, we're undone before you. Would you forgive us for the things that we say that hurt your heart and hurt those that we love? And would you come and alter our tongues? Would you touch our tongues? Lord, where we feel hopeless in our lives, May we be filled with faith that you can come and change us from the inside out. Father, would you do a work that can only come through your Holy Spirit where, where hearts are hard. That your Spirit would come and begin to make them soft and give us a heart of flesh. Give us a, a heart that's willing to change. So would you bless this time of communion in Jesus' name. Amen.